This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. You don't have to isolate when you are kind of in this role now, military dad, right? It's so hard, especially now with COVID stuff going on and, and just the way of the world now to feel like there's nobody out there that understands where you've been. Nobody understands the transition. Nobody gets the culture. Nobody knows the mindset or that it's weird to talk about it. You know, like I appreciated so much how you said you made a friend on the hill sledding the other day, because in my experience, men are not as eager to reach out and be like, hey guys, can I get your number? You know? Dory one, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad. This is episode 112. I am your host, Ben Colloy, and this is your official welcome to the start of the week. Now, Mondays are usually reserved for bad days. It's the start of the grind, but I want you to think about Monday being the day that you get to set new intentions, set new goals, to move in to the dad that you want to be and go from that dad that you were yesterday to the dad you want to be tomorrow. This episode is rich with the core message of this podcast, which is bringing military dads home so that they can step into their best life. That is what we've been doing on this podcast for over two years now, and every content, every message has a core philosophy built into it that this stuff, these conversations that we talk about is the pathway for you to step into your best life as a dad, as a husband, as a human being, everything you desire in life is built into these different episodes. And this episode is just like every other episode where it's going to give you that blueprint that you need to reconnect with the week, give you a sense of purpose, give you a sense of motivation, and remind yourself that, yes, I can do this because I am a military dad and I am loved, I'm appreciated, and I can go forward in the world and do big things. So today's episode is with Gloria Rendon. She has worked as an advocate for clients with mental health and substance use disorders for nearly a decade. She has progressive experience in both inpatient and outpatient settings. She has worked with agencies and organizations within North and South Carolina to provide evidence-based training to counselors, practitioners, non-clinical staff, agencies, organizations, and clients. She serves as a federal grant reviewer, which allows for funding for both of these populations, especially for the underserved populations like veterans. She is a United States Army veteran, Operation Iraqi Freedom, and Operation Enduring Freedom. She has a Master's of Science in Addiction Counseling, Doctoral Work in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, and Sport and Performance Psychology. This episode with Gloria is so good because it has all of those things in her bio and everything more because her story adds this element to it that you don't say come in, but man, without that story, this episode 
is missing a whole other layer, and I'm so glad we went there, and I'm so glad she opened her heart to this episode of her story and understanding how it's shaping her life today, even as it's still unfolding almost 20 years later. Everything about Gloria Rendon is down in the show notes. So if you are in South or North Carolina and you want to reach out to her or you are struggling and you want to reach out for help, reach out to the services that are on the show notes. Go to militaryveterandad.com. Go to the show notes there and all the links for everything that is Gloria Rendon is available. And as always, if you want to hear my big takeaway of the episode, hang on to the other side and I'll be back. And so without further ado, let's get started with Gloria Rendon. Welcome to the podcast, Gloria. Hi, Ben. I'm excited for you to be here. You just came into my life, and it was kind of weird how it happened, but that's how I'm on the best guests in the podcast have come into my life. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about what you're going to talk about today. I'm Gloria, and I'm a substance use professional in South Carolina. I have um, about 10 years of addiction professional experience, and I'm a clinical supervisor. So that's just a fancy way to say I work with people who struggle with mental health and addiction, and I help other counselors become better counselors. I started off working uh, with military veterans and active duty service members, and I was super passionate about that because I have also been in the Army myself. My husband is retired army and works as a DOD contractor. So I have a background full of military experience. So um, starting off in this field, working with veterans and active duty was really propelled me uh, to be knee deep in this field. So what brought, let's go a little bit deeper before we go into the substance stuff. What brought you to the army? Cause I was hearing a little bit about your story. So I'm now I'm a little bit curious based on how your high school ended and how did you find yourself getting into the army? Yeah, the Army was a huge saving grace for me. I'm a high school dropout. I dropped out of high school when I was only 16, was using drugs and alcohol like crazy, really living a much faster life than I should have been at that age. Eventually, the well ran dry and I needed to figure something out. So uh, my dad was in the Navy and I have had lots of other family members who were in the military. So I went like everyone else, the recruiting office and tried to figure it out. I tried to go in the Marine Corps first. That didn't work out. I had too many tattoos by that time. So I ended up going into the army and eventually enlisted and went in as a combat medic. So going into the army, what were some of the first things that you started figuring out about yourself? Because the military is a very revealing process. And sometimes you don't figure out what it revealed till decades and years later. But I'm interested in your case, because you've been in the the depths of like the psyche of what you go through. So I'm wondering, what do you think the army helped you reveal about yourself? I think that's really true. It took me a lot of years after just sometimes figure out some of those life lessons, right? But the army helped me become more disciplined. That's for sure. I was living this crazy wild life as a teenager. And even as an adult, I was 20 before I finally got into the army. So for me, I needed to learn some humility and some discipline and also what it was like to care about other people. You know, when you're a teenager and getting high, you're very selfish. You're only worrying about yourself. So to have to look after. Yeah, exactly. So uh, learning how to care about the next person was um, invaluable to me now as an adult. As you look through your, the past, have you been able to try to pinpoint a point where, you started losing the ability to empathize with people before, like in high school, was there like a a turning point or a moment in time where like you just started focusing on yourself versus other people? 
I can't really pinpoint a time. No, but I think um, that area of my life, those couple of years, 15 to 19 are sort of a blur, you know, in some regard, definitely recognized the need for change when I was like 20 and my life was really unraveling and I couldn't pay my rent. I couldn't pay my car payment. I was about to get evicted. Uh, And unfortunately there's a negative side to that too. You know, friends were overdosing and and a lot of bad things were happening in drug friends were also around the same kind of influence. Yeah. So if birds of a feather flock together, right. I was no different. So kind of moving forward from that, looking back at it now at 35, I'm like, what was I doing at 15, 16, 17 years old? How long did you serve in the army? Four years. So what was the decision like to get out? Cause I would imagine there was probably a lot of fear there Tons just of, fear. of being able to go back to like f- being afraid that you were going to step back to who you were and you're going to lose all the work that you did. It was a crazy decision for me to get out. You know, I really, um, I had enlisted. And then when I was deployed, I re-enlisted. You know, we all kind of know that story, right? You can get pretty good in re-enlistment bonuses and things like that when you're deployed. So I fell into the that category I did when I was in Iraq re-enlist. So I had every intention of staying in. Um, and then I came home uh, in January of 2009 and like was pregnant in February, you know? So for me, it was um, a difficult decision. I had a little baby at home and I was coming up. I knew it was my time. I was going to have to deploy again. And I was really torn about what to do. So I did decide to get out in order to take care of my daughter. Did you have any missteps on the other side of that transition as far as like figuring out your new identity and being able to stay centered on it without losing it? I wish I had done things differently because I was ill prepared to get out. I didn't have money saved. I didn't know how I was going to have medical insurance for my kid and I after TRICARE was over. Um, And I I didn't really have like the support network that I felt like I needed in order to become a military rank to civilian employee. You know, I didn't know how to make the transition. I didn't know the ins and outs of using a GI bill. Um, And it sounds great to say, I'm going to get out of the military and I'm going to go to school. I hear so many people say that. It's the default code that this is is your path to happiness and unicorns and rainbows. A thousand percent, right? But like, who knows how to use the GI Bill or post 9-11 GI Bill now? It's not so much about using it. It's like, it's just a, it's just a tool that still allows you to be as lost as you are on the other side. Yeah, and like you lost. can go through the process. You can get all this for free. You can have money issued to you. That's your housing stipend. And you can still just be as lost on the other side of having a four-year degree as you were before. You're like, I'm going to use my GI Bill because they said that was what I was supposed to do. But they don't talk about that. It's still a process and it's still a journey. Absolutely. And really, like, you know, when you're in the military, you have you know exactly what your day consists of, you know, you know what time you have to go to PT, you know what time formation is, you know what time you're going to go to lunch, you have a roundabout idea of what time you can leave, right? And when you get out and you think you're going to go to school and you have all these random class times or the idea of going to school, even you have to cook for yourself and all that. It's like, it's misleading. People think, you know, it's going to be so much easier to be a civilian. It's idealistic. 
I look back to my time in Okinawa when I sat there playing Xbox and doing nothing and going on Marine Corps community services tours of the island. I was like, man, that was as simple as the, my life will ever be. And I never, I never had that feeling when I was doing it. I felt like it was chaotic and stressful. But man, looking back, like I could have did big things. I mean, I'm a dad with three kids under eight, and I'm starting a podcast. I'm a stay at home dad. I do all these other big things now that take up time and come from other places with the family. And back then, I had nothing. Like it's crazy when you look back of your perspective on that. So now that you work with veterans in a completely different season of your life, looking back, what do you think the core message that a veteran needs to know to understand that transition and identity? Because it's that loss of identity that allows us to fall into those false senses of love that can come from alcohol and drugs and just kind of getting lost in the, let's get a job so everything will be good, but it really won't be. Yeah, we see the identity of alcohol culture even prior to people making the transition. Alcohol culture is very wide amongst the branches of the military. So I'm from Wisconsin, it's pretty much part of our native culture up here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I anywhere USA is part of our culture, you know. So that transition when you're going from the ranks of the military into civilian life and you think, okay, I get off of work at four, five o'clock. I have a beer with the guys or people come over and have like a barbecue with us on the weekend. Right. I used to live in on post housing as all we did was like have people over to hang out and have a beer, have a drink, have a fire pit out back. Right. So then you move off post, you get civilian housing, you kind of reinvent yourself and get this new life on the outside. And a lot of people feel lost. Like, where are all my buddies that used to come over and have a drink with me? Where are all the people that uh, I was bonding with over a beer at the bar? So I think my one message is, you know, if I had to bring it down just to one, is it's important to know who you are as a human being before you jump out into this scary world. Because People out on this side and the civilian side don't have great coping skills as it is. If you can figure that out before you get out of the military, who you are, how you're going to cope with anxiety, how you're going to cope with being a civilian and the challenges, then you're in a way better position than most of the veterans I've met. And if anybody questions what you just said about civilians' ability to cope, all they have to do is reference the toilet paper shortage of April of 2020. Because the little bit, the first stress test they've ever had in their life, they freak out and go get something that we generally make 98% of here in America and we're worried about running out of. And so like that just to me speaks to like the heightened uncertainty that they deal with but don't acknowledge on the outside. And for us to count on that or to assume that it's better or to assume it's probably almost better way to look at it is it looks like a mirage when you're in the military that from the perspective on the outside, when you look at the Joneses, which is all your neighbors, they look like they got it together. What's What could go wrong transitioning out? And then when you transition out and you realize that they're really only living a day ahead in the future and anything more than that, they go into panic mode. That just speaks to that you need to be able to have that foundation on your own and you you're, it's going to get weaker on the other side because there's a mirage of reality around you. Def definitely. I mean, the planning aspect of the military is so important. I know like when I was preparing to deploy, I used to get so angry, like, 
why are we spending so much time packing a connex and planning all these um, functions to deploy and be successful? But then you realize when you get on the other side and you're stuck in Camp Virginia, Kuwait for 30 days, you needed some of that stuff in that connex, right? It's really the same thing from the transition from military to civilian. If you don't plan ahead of time for some of the challenges you're going to face, and I don't mean like buy, you know, stock and toilet paper, but if you don't plan ahead for some of the challenges, then you're going to be one of those fear-based panic people that doesn't really know how to operate. I think what you're also talking about there is people have this illusion while they're serving that transition happens in like the six months prior to leaving out. Like to me, when you have the military, there's kind of two mindsets that I've learned in this podcast. One is your actual transition begins almost the first day you go to boot camp because you should already be planning what's going to happen on the other side, because what I'm joining and what I'm getting ready to do is a temporary thing. And it's going to be a process that gives me a window to really work and develop something bigger within myself. And it begins the first day you go to boot camp. And the second part is you never count your end date because the military can take your service away with a snap of your fingers, either through something injured on a PT, or they could just say, we don't need you anymore. That was something during the, I think it was called the sequestration that the Pentagon did in 2012 for the budget cuts that they just said, we don't need you anymore. And you're, you're, this is your EAS date now. And people had this artificially like two, two year runway just yanked in front of them. And then they had to panic and figure out like, I wasn't ready. I wasn't even figuring it out yet. And that's why it needs to begin on that day one. That's so interesting too. I'm thinking about even uh, back in like 2008, I think when they had the stop loss, when they were extending people and and people had these plans to get out. People had applied to college. They were ready to go to a, you know admit somewhere. People had weddings planned, all kinds of civilian functions. And then they got stop loss and they ended up having to stay an additional year or 15 months or 18 months in. So you're right about that. You can really never bank on Uncle Sam giving you a true blue end date. And you have to kind of think about it from day one. That's an interesting perspective. And there was one more little, uh, we'll call it the cherry on top, is the reason why I asked you about why you joined the Army and then also why you left is most people also don't think about the first transition, which is when they went into the military. Like you were a real person on before you joined and starting there and figuring out like who you were, what were your goals, and then also figuring out on your way out, like, what did I learn? What new perspectives do I have? Do I still really believe some of the same stuff? Like it gives you a clearer picture on, on where you need to go as well. Yeah, definitely. I think about one thing in particular that I struggled with so much when I transitioned into the military, even just being in the delayed entry program, is there was not a lot of females who were joining at the same time as me. I was recruited out of North Carolina. So there just were only other males who were in my delayed entry. Um, so I would PT with males and we did all kinds of stuff trying to learn how to be a soldier. Right. And then when I got in to um, going to basic training and stuff, then I realized, okay, there's other women that are here. The same thing happened when I transitioned out is there was a lot of men who were doing um, the out processing when I was there. Obviously, there's a larger population of men in the military than females. So there was no women really who had a child at home who understood where I was going, what I was facing. And um, I would say transitioning into the military was a lot less lonely than transitioning out of the military. There was really no one else around that understood uh, how difficult it was. 
You remind me of a conversation that I had with Amanda Huffman, who hosts Women of the Military podcast, and she talks about a lunch her and I had, I think now almost two years ago at Podcast Movement in Orlando. And she talked about this lunch. She's mentioned it probably at least 15 times now since then of how this lunch, it was just a random lunch. There wasn't anything special about it from like how it started. But she talks about when she first felt like connected, that she felt disconnected as a veteran, that because that she couldn't connect with her veteran brothers in a way that because she was a female and that conversation at lunch really just felt like he has some of the same feelings as I do. I just had this preconceived notion that because I'm different biologically that I can no longer connect with this other side that still is part of the same brotherhood that I had when I served. Did you have that similar idea of like that you couldn't connect with this other side because of how isolated you felt from, from your story? Totally. And I think from the very beginning of joining the military, you are immediately separated from your male counterparts. We're separated, you know, typically through MOS, we're separated, uh, not totally, but, you know, a lot of the time separated in basic training. You see females going towards some careers, men going towards others. In your unit, you're pretty separated. So, you know, there's bonding between men and women in the military for sure, but you always know that the separation exists. So I think when you make the transition from active duty to veteran, you're hyper aware of those differences. Um, women, not that I know of, have historically been like um, as camarader, you know, have as much camaraderie as men when it comes to veteranship and, and having this history being in the military. And so you're aware of the separation, but if you actually talk to male veterans, especially male veterans who are in the same era as uh, serving as you, you realize there's a ton of similarities. Now that you're th you're 35 and you got out into, so there has been almost 10 years since you got out, right? If that math, math is correct. Yeah. So this year uh, in September, I'm out 11 years. Part of a huge component that men and women go through on the other side of transition is figuring out why a tribe was so important. The military issues you a tribe and you must instantly figure out how to start using it and start working together. But you never realize on the other side what that magic was doing. That for millennia, men and women survived in tribes and communities and we always had people ahead of us and behind us. I'm wondering in your life today and those, since those 10 years, how have you kind of had to rebuild that tribe? Because without that tribe or connection to other people, you, you begin to lose more of who you are and that disconnection from your identity is something that can be dangerous that leads down to all the things that you work on every day. Absolutely. So I actually just had this conversation yesterday with someone about um, it takes a village to raise kids. It doesn't matter how many, I don't care if you have 24 children or one, right? Or how old they are. It takes um, extra and outside influence to help morph them and shape them and thought leadership to shape them. Yeah. Right. There's a lot that goes on into, into raising kids, but what we forget is that there's a lot that goes into raising us too. So, so many of us join the military when we're young, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, there's like zero brain formation that happens, you know? So we're shaped by our experiences in the military, by our experiences with other people, which is wonderful, but that really becomes part of your identity. So like you said, that tribe kind of ends abruptly when you transition out. And if you're like me, you know, I still have friends that are still active duty. I have friends that have gotten out, friends that have gotten hurt, friends that have gotten killed, uh, friends that have retired, etc. So my people are, my tribe is spread all over the United States and, and beyond now. 
So when you transition out, I'd say over the past 10 years, do I still have that tribe? Most of them. Um, Can I still call them or visit them? Yeah, definitely. But you have to find a place in the civilian community where you can then find a different tribe. The difference is that it's not given to you. Like you said, in the military, it is. And um, you don't always have the same things to bond over. So this, the civilian world is sort of different in my experience. Like, what do we bond over on this side? Do we say, okay, we all have kids. Let's hang out in this like mom group. You know, are we all addiction professionals? Let's hang out in this counselor circle. Prior to that, it was, hey, we're all soldiers. We're all in the same unit. We're all going to Iraq together. Uh, We're all medics, you know, then we kind of hang out. But it feels different on this side for whatever reason. You know, you hit me. I had a new thought that just popped in that hadn't popped in my head before. A huge part of the leadership style that I talk about on this podcast to become a better dad is having more friends in your life. My story changed five years ago when I said hello to a dad at the park and quickly realized that he wanted to say hello just as much as I did. We were both just playing chicken and it took someone to have the balls to say yes and say hello. So I did. And that like the third dad I did that to at the park was a veteran. And I was like, whoa, this just like, did that just happen? I just met a brand new veteran that I never knew existed. And he just lived down the street. And that just kind of spawned down this whole idea of where I am today and talking to more people. And then now it's almost an addiction that annoys my wife because I, I'll go on different places. I like I went sledding with my kids here in Wisconsin a couple of weeks ago. And there was, it was an empty sledding hill that night. And there was a dad there with his girls and we started talking and I came home to my wife and I was like, yeah, I made a new friend at the park today. And like, it's a weird thing to say, but like, that's a, like, that's a habit I'm proud of because I also had the courage to get his number. Like, if you think of, like, it's worse one thing to talk to someone. Try asking another man for his number so that you can stay in touch with them. Like, it's completely weird and awkward, but you do it, and almost every dad has given me his number. I don't think I've any gotten rejected from it. But, like, that moment allows me then to keep talking and have a conversation, and I never know where those are going. But that is what we really need to do. And the word that like, when you're talking about trying to find who you are and what you talk about, it hit me that like, and I never even had this mindset, but we are all students of the human experience. We all have struggles with that human experience. And for me, as I talk to people, it's those common things that have always been that I never really had this conscious. So I just heard the, had this thought as you were talking that if we approach every conversation that we all have in common, that we're all students of the human experience, we can bond with almost anybody. Like that's a really profound thought that I just had there for how to approach that problem that you just came up with. I have to agree with that. I mean, we focus, uh, I I think I'm even guilty of this too. I want to find what the common thread is with people in order to feel more comfortable to reach out to them and say, oh, I wear glasses too. You know, let's talk about our day at Lens Crafters, right? But the reality (laughs) is, is that we could all say, you know, our experience is really how we got here. And, and I'm just a person and, and um, imperfectly perfect. And I bet you are too. So let's find common ground instead of seeing each other's glasses, you know? And I have a friend who runs a podcast called, I believe it's called no tag. And essentially it's these tags that we assign ourselves. Like the tag in the back of your shirt is a label and it has different things that describe the shirt. And many times we assign these tags for our own life that you are a person with glasses. So therefore you identify with some of probably the stereotypes of people that wear glasses, even though those probably have nothing to do with you. They're just part of these tags that you kind of probably subconsciously assign to ourselves. And it's those filters that we're always trying to find connection in, but really it's 
her podcast is about tearing out those tags and how we're take, tearing them out allows you to have more freedom to be more of who you are versus worrying about your common thread. And your more common thread is based on some preconceived notion that you think they have of you, which is most likely not even correct because they have nothing to really think about you because you're just a person in front of them right now. But it's it's that thought that we need to have a tag. We need to use these tags to define ourselves. And this is our identity. And when people mess with those tags, even then we get upset. And that's when like then you can go downhill and spiral out of like, man, I keep going to these conversations. I keep getting rejected. Well, it's because you go in these conversations with this preconceived idea that you are a person and people don't see that in you. And it ends always negatively in that mode. I'm excited that you brought that up. I have this conversation uh, with clients, with other counselors. Anytime I do any kind of public speaking, we have to talk about the labels that we assign ourselves. And in my field of work now, I often hear people refer to those who have addiction disorders or mental health disorders as addicts or junkies, and they're um, a pretty serious label. And we have the same thing that happens to veterans too. Like as soon as you share any insight that you have PTSD or that you suffered in any way, people get labeled very quickly. Uh, he's off the handle or he's super angry. Uh, Add the veteran wants- tag. And then you're like, yeah, too hot to handle. Right. Too hot to handle. Don't touch it, you know? And I even see a lot of counselors who are kind of timid or trepidatious when it comes to dealing with veterans who have addiction because they think, well, that's a label that I'm not really prepared to deal with. They might get a little bit too um, hardcore for me in a session. I I maybe won't know what to do. But there's a really interesting uh, dynamic that happens when you learn how to remove those tags, when you can identify that you have labeled yourself, that you have um, this preconceived notion that other people are labeling you, and you can eventually strip yourself of those labels and say, you know what, I'm not a junkie, even though I did drugs when I was a teenager. I'm not a high school dropout, even though I did drop out of high school. Um, And I'm not really some of these other self uh, monologue negative tags I've given myself over the years. In reality, I'm a person, I'm a female, I'm a veteran, you know, I'm a mom and, and you can find the more positive words to label yourself with rather than those negatives. So I appreciate any podcast or any person that kind of takes those tags away and says, no, let's not degrade ourselves. I did double check the name of the podcast. It is Tear Out the Tags by B. Evans. And it's got some really in-depth conversations about all of these different tags. And there is an idea when you think about these tags, there is a huge component that I talk about in my friendship course that I created on my website, militaryveterandad.com, that the second lesson is why it won't work. And the big, huge component within that is you have things in your shadows those tags, that damaged goods, those stories, those events that you feel are too hot to handle. And maybe that's 10% of your psyche. Maybe that's 50% of your psyche. However, that percentage is in that darkness, you spend a huge amount of energy hiding that and keeping, making sure that the light never touches that darkness. And that in itself is going to not allow a lot of that real person in yourself to come to the surface. You're going to turn off a lot of your personality to make sure no one ever sees that darkness. The bullshit part that most veterans, and I want every dad to pay attention to this part because the bullshit that you tell yourself that that darkness is what you need to hide, that darkness is going to reveal more of who you need to be. And when you reveal that component, you allow more of who you are to flow. 
And then you also get a chance to see it in a very objective way. You actually can't even see what it looks like when it's in the darkness because there's no light on it. But the moment you speak it, the moment you tell someone, you can see it objectively with your rational part of your brain versus the emotional part that's trying to subconsciously hide that. And it's that darkness. Once you bring it into the light, like that can actually make people come closer to you versus push you away. It's people are afraid of what people keep in the darkness. And that may what push a veteran away. But if you reveal with what's in your darkness to other people, that's going to be something that almost it's in our human DNA to admire and want to know more of. I think what you just said is so important for a couple of reasons, right? When we, before we started recording this podcast, you asked me what's off limits, right? What's the stopping block? What do you not want me to talk about or address? And I said, nothing really. I'm kind of an open book, right? But it took me so long to get there because I like how you just described had you know, stuff in the, in the dark closet that I didn't want anybody to know about me. I didn't want people to know I used to use drugs. I felt like, oh, that's it. And, you know, people are never going to see me as a, as a doctor. People are never going to see me as a professional. Now people always think I'm a bad mom. Probably fraud would be the word that you labeled yourself. Yeah. Like yourself a fraud, with. right. Yeah. And so the reality is that I just have lived experience with with other people and can, can relate and probably a little bit more empathetic since I've actually lived my own life. Right. You know, so what you described there is really the epitome of therapy when you can go and talk to a counselor or therapist or whoever, whatever title they have, and you can bring those things that are in the closet out into the light. And you can talk about the dark stuff that you feel negatively about and have somebody help you reframe it into a positive light. You authentically share yourself with someone else and you learn habits to authentically share yourself with other people and people in your community, family, and your support system. So you're right. All those things that, you know, you kind of hide and conceal from other people. You practice talking about them. You get them out in the open. You feel more confident about how they made you who you are today. And you'll realize probably more people can relate to you than not. And that authenticity always shines. Yes. I want to go into a, maybe a, a secondary layer of what we're talking about. How has opening up your life and shining lights in all the closets that were previously with the lights off, how has that helped you become a better parent? <laughs> That's so interesting that you brought that up. I um my daughter is 11 and she knows it all, right? She she doesn't really I don't really keep anything from her. But when I was an up and coming mom, it's like how I think about it, you know, we're all kind of learning the process as we go. I was always wondering, you know, like should I tell her that I used to use drugs? Should I not tell her? Is it going to deter her from using drugs? But the reality is that I'm around people who use drugs or have used drugs all the time, my profession, right? I'm I'm opening an outpatient treatment center. It's not like she's unfamiliar with what drugs and alcohol are, right? So when I was considering whether or not I would tell her, does she have the capacity to understand what that means? You know, I realized that it was far easier to just be straight with her and tell her what things are and what things aren't rather than try to create some spider web of lies to conceal some stuff, you know? How, how old was she when she kind of got the full story? I'm not really sure. I, I think it's been um, tidbits over time, you know? you can. And have you noticed like any decision-making or any a part of her personality evolve because of having this knowledge? My kid is so understanding. You know, she's just like, 
okay, mom, you're going to go help so-and-so today, or, uh, you know, you're going to go do this, uh, work with the recovery house today or something. And I think she gets excited, like, cool. You're going to help people that say they want help for their problem. I think that's awesome. So what it seems like to me is her decision-making is no matter what the problem is, somebody's out there to help. And that's a good thing. And no matter what the problem is, if you say you need help, that's a good thing. And it's okay to say you have a problem. The part that kind of popped in my head as you were talking there is because you're her mom, she has an infinite amount of love for the person that you are. But then when she hears that her mom fell down and that she learned how mom got back up, to me, like being able to model a healthy falling down, getting back up, but then also modeling how you can still find love in me through that. Like to me, those two, like those as they weave through her personality growing up, she will always be able to bring compassion to someone that maybe most likely doesn't deserve it. Or even at that point where, yeah, they deserve everything coming towards them. She's going to be able to bring compassion towards them. I recently heard Gary Vee do a couple different of his videos where when people go crazy on a rant, like just completely go into the weeds on like, you suck. Everything you say is garbage. Like he doesn't dig into argue. He digs into like, I'm sorry that that's the pain that you feel that you can express right now. Like, and I think that's a lot what your daughter's going to have going into the world of she's going to be able to bring love to a situation versus judgment or tagging because the person that she loved most in this world went through the same thing and she grew up knowing that you can still be exactly who you need to be. That's my hope. I think that kind of lesson for children is invaluable. And there's also, the, this is something I want every dad to hear because many military dads hide from those things in the closet. And even if you expose the closet to say someone at the VA in therapy, they still feel like they need to be a bigger version of themselves to their kids. But the danger within that is whether you die five years, 10 years, 30 years, however many years you got left on this earth, the worst case scenario is that you leave this earth and your kids never really know who you are. Because when they're 30 and they're talking at your eulogy, maybe, them finding out that you had all of these things going on in your life that you never told them and they never really, they then they this version of their dad got shattered. And in, in that case, it's almost anger where they're probably going to bring to it versus love. Like that would be the worst case scenario of what happens when you hold in your life from your kids and helping your kids know who you are allows them to walk in the steps of your advice, your wisdom well beyond your time. So they can always like, what would dad do? Because they know who their dad was. They know how he fell. They know how he got back up. They know the values that he did when life tested them. They can be dad in those moments when dad's not there. But when you hide that version of yourself, like this is the best gift a military dad has. We have depth. We have wisdom. We have, we've seen hell. We know how to move through hell and come back from it. We know how to have just see the world from the worst parts of it to the best parts of it. And if we share those little lessons that we've taken away to our kids, like we have an opportunity to create a generation of kids that go into adults that America's were never really seen before because of the amount of depth that the last 15 years of wars have really been given to the veterans that we have in the community today. Like to me, that is the best reason why military dad, the reason why this podcast exists, because it's those moments when you come home, it gifts your, your life to them in wisdom and stories that allows them to go out in the world and truly understand how to make it better. You create resilient children that way. 
you know, they know uh, what adversity looks like and feels like they've heard the stories, they've seen their dads deploy, and then dads come home and they're able to, like you said, kind of give that gift of love and, and knowledge and uh, help the seed grow a little bit. And those children understand how to overcome. Those are civilian children with coping skills, for sure. And I can say, you know, we're in the generation, I don't, I don't know how old you are, but, you know, we're I'm kind of uh, in the generation. Yeah. So we're at the same age. Right. And so uh, I know our generation of people is in that, that time frame of multiple deployments for uh, active duty members. Right. We, we're talking about guys and ladies who have deployed multiple times, not just once, or they've deployed for a long period of time, not a short period of time. They've gone to war torn countries. They've seen war. They've seen terrible things. We're talking about a lot invested in people's military careers, those same people come home, not only do they have to transition into being back in the United States, but a lot of them trans transition back into a civilian climate. And so many of them, maybe like you, definitely like me, had to figure out how to be parents along the way. And, um, you know, I know, I, and I'm speaking for my husband right now at this point, but I know when he had multiple deployments, time after time after time, it took a toll on our, our family and on our kid, on him, you know, he was missing out on so much stuff. And it was absolutely imperative for him that he came back full force, was full dad every time he, he hit the ground and he was able to, to use a therapeutic process. I mean, the man went to therapy for like two years to figure out how to be more compassionate, how to, how to be a better dad. And there's no shame in that. He just was deployed for a long time and um, didn't know how. So, and that just conditions your thought patterns for survival yeah. and conditioning your thought patterns for survival is not going to allow you to be compassionate towards a kid who has untethered emotions and can be a nice little happy kid one minute and then screaming at you the next that makes a person that was trained for survival very uneasy and you pull back from it. And that's when those pullback moments is when dads get to those logical conclusions that their family is better off without them. And as you were telling this story, there was another kind of thread that popped in my head that we talk about legacy a lot in this podcast, that the biggest thing I've learned is many military dads stay in the legacy of our service and we never switch the legacy of our family. I think your legacy of your family will be the combination of love at all stages of people's lives. Because I think your story, your ability and your daughter to understand how compassion and love can show up in different stages of life and how that can, that's like the one most powerful tool that you can do to transform someone's lives and seeing it in her mom's life every day and seeing who she's become and who she's becoming from those pit of being a high school dropout and what she's gone through. Like to me, like the wisdom that she's going to go into the world with of understanding how to make it better like that's a legacy that's not just connecting her life. Like that's going to be generational right there. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, I think that's um, inspiring for other people to see what you hope for as a parent. And that's the part that many military, that's the big switch you need to hit in your head is when you think about the legacy of your family, like what can you do to create a better life? Not just within your kids, but like talking like two to three generations down the road you're not just talking about making a better adult that doesn't rubber band back to your basement. You're talking about an adult that understands how to go into the world and start changing it and making it better. And it's those ripples that allow you to keep going. And I wrote a blog post and gave a speech on this idea that a veteran's only forgotten when no longer remembers his name. And the advice came from the movie Coco, 
when it represents Day of the Dead, that they always talk about the people in the past. Because once you're no longer remembered, that's when the system breaks in the Day of the Dead. And as long as people remember your name, you'll always be remembered. And that's to me, like if you create an impact with your kids, they're going to remember the new branch on the tree that started this new generational change within the family that said, and everything started changing when this man, my father, and the people are could be talking about it 200 years in the future. Like, we could be the Mayflower culture. Like, we aren't talking about coming over on the Mayflower. We're talking about my dad was part of the generation that really gave me the ability to go out in the world and understand how to make it better. Whenever you said that that uh, legacy, that's not just veteran legacy, right? You you have that transition into family legacy too. And something you said really provoked some thought. You said that men still have a place in the family, right? And I I think that resonates with me so much because I see so many men think I'm a soldier. I work. I go to work. I come home. You know, I pay the bills. I provide. And that's my, that's my legacy, right? I'm a hardworking man. I worked my whole life. I did all this stuff, but the real legacy is when you can come home and be a part of the family too. And I see that in our generation of men so much more. These are men that are uh, confident to come home and get on the floor with their kids. They're confident to cook dinner. Um, there's not role reversal or role confusion necessarily. There's just a more interwoven and cooperative relationship at home. And I'm personally inspired by veterans of our, our age and generation, especially because they learn how to make the transition effectively. Military dads are hands-on. You know, it's not women at home cooking, men overseas serving. That role is kind of fading away. And I appreciate the uh, change and cooperation that I see in the military family legacy now. And what I've learned in my own journey to be a stay-at-home dad and spending mornings with my daughter is that as I've learned to calm myself, I actually become a calming force with my family. And that takes a lot of growth and takes a lot of effort. But as I've done it, like when my four-year-old daughter is just losing it, the best thing that I can do in that moment is just go up and hug her and sit with her and let her feel, feel it through. And like I can be a source for her to get back to center. And that's what I can be for my wife. That's what I can be for my other daughter and my son, who's also kind of balancing his emotions and figuring out how to get through them quicker. And that's our second, our, our big role within the family. To me, it's even bigger than providing because when you can be that oak tree for the the winds that go through the tree in your family, you can be that rock that provides that leadership, that strength, that wisdom, and the love to get through whatever the family gets through and, or has to go through. And that is, the, like the, to me, the big end result of coming home to your family is when you create the calm for the family to model as a standard. And when, no matter what people are going through, you can help bring people back to center. So important. Life lessons. So Gloria, as we wrap up this interview, I'd like to ask you, what's a parting piece of advice from your life? Maybe from, you could look at perspective of your husband coming home from deployments, but what is a piece of advice that you want to make sure the military dad knows either from maybe the spouse perspective? Cause it's always interesting when a spouse shares her wisdom, because most of the time men are just troubleshooting with other men and we're troubleshooting in the dark, trying to figure out what women think. And so when a woman shares what she really needs, that is like life-changing advice. Stop asking other men what we want. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I say, guys, the, you don't have to uh, isolate when you are 
you know, kind of in this role now, military dad, right? Um, it's so hard, especially now with COVID stuff going on and and just the way of the world now to feel like there's nobody out there that that understands where you've been. Uh, nobody understands the transition. Nobody gets the culture. Nobody knows the mindset or um, that it's weird to talk about it. You know, like I appreciated so much how you said you made a friend on the hill sledding the other day because uh, in my experience, men are not as eager to reach out and be like, hey guys, can I get your number? You know, yeah, I mean, this I, guy might as well be a high school girl because that's where my mind was initially. <laughs> And so I think that is the perfect representation of my my one iota of advice is you're not out there by yourself. And um, in that is your family is a great support system for you too. If you talk to your wife, your spouse, your significant other, uh, whoever you have at home, your children about your experiences, that's okay too. Because I think the military family is the best support system for anyone transitioning, anyone who feels isolated. We have been through extreme amounts of adversity and overcome. And so, you know, guys, if you feel alone, then you got to reach out and talk to anybody. Is there any pl particular place where is a good place to get a hold of you and the resources that you work with and provide? Yeah, definitely. So I'm in South Carolina and I provide clinical services in North Carolina and South Carolina. Look me up online at palmstateofmind.com. And uh, I'm on all the social media, uh, LinkedIn. You can find me, Gloria Rendon. I'm on Facebook and on Instagram. Or you can just shoot me an email, gloria at a palmstateofmind.com. And I'll include all of that stuff in the show notes so you don't have to worry about rec remembering it or writing it down quickly. Just head over to militaryveterandad.com and all the show notes will be there to help you with those resources. Gloria, this conversation has been absolutely amazing and I'm so glad you came into my life in the random way that you did on LinkedIn. And this is the best part of reason why you got to say hello because on the other side of hello could be that one conversation that can change your life. Thank you so much for talking with me today and I appreciate all of your uh, wisdom and experience with podcasting. So thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Gloria Rennett. Man, that episode just rocked. Preparing this episode for you got me that much more excited to get this information to you guys because I know her story is going to move mountains for the moms out there that listen to this podcast and also the dads because anytime we share the perspective of a woman on the podcast, we get access to a portion of the psyche that we don't have access to and we often are too afraid to ask and I know Glory is going to open up some doors and some paths for other men out there to have some conversations with their wife and begin those steps to come home. So my big takeaway in this podcast is kind of big and overarching, but for me, it was a very validating episode because it was the blueprint that we talk about so often on this podcast, the path to step into your best life. Gloria has done that. She is out there moving and shaking in the industry of mental health, and she's doing it from a place where she came from, which was one where you never would have thought that woman could do big things like that when she talks about when she was in high school. There is so much within our own personality where we think there's a permanence to our personality. Gloria really signifies that personality is not permanent, that you can change your identity by changing your action, changing your environment, changing what you're known for. All of that can be different. In high school, she was known as a dropout. Now, she is known as a woman that is moving mountains within the mental health space to help people feel better about themselves. Like that's a huge monumental shift. 
And then when she talks about what she's doing with her daughter and how that's shaping, and we talked about the love and empathy that she's going to be able to bring to other people, to me, that was so beautiful because it implanted and cemented for me the foundation of truth that we talk about a lot in this podcast, that when you show up with your kids' lives, when you show up with the good, the bad, and the ugly of your life as a teaching tool to help your kids grow into better adults, then, and only then, can you start to see how your life was happening for you, that all that crap that happened wasn't just crap. It was allowing you to create a teaching tool that later in your life, you could help your kids understand something really deep and impactful that you learned from that big pile of crap. And that was such a huge, huge takeaway on this episode. If you are ready, if you were listening to these episodes and you have just been like, man, these episodes just get me fired up. Monday gets me going for the week. Friday, Fatherhood Friday gets me going into the weekend. I am just so ready to move up to the next level. I am ready to have that conversation with you. I'm currently offering free discovery calls to help people dive into their lives and truly understand where they need to go. A big, huge component of the dads that I talk to is they have a lack of self-leadership. They have fallen off the wagon on the ability to lead themselves. They understood what leadership looked like in the military. They understood how to lead others in the military. But when it comes to themselves, on the other side of transition, that component where you have to tell yourself to do things when no one else is going to tell you to do them, that is the component that most military dads are missing. If you are stuck in the pattern where you are struggling to come home and engage with your family, most likely there is an underlying current that says that I am incapable of leading myself and therefore I just kind of do more and I be less. And we need to reverse that. We need to be more and actually do less. That all of our doing is actually hiding from the real things that we need to talk about. And if that little rant there hit home for you, head on over to bencloy.com. Sign up for one of those coaching calls because those coaching calls are transforming men. And whether we work with each other or not, this coaching call, I'm positive, will be the best 45 minutes you spend because you get insights into the future, you get insights into my life, and you also can find a door maybe that you didn't know existed. I say it often, that one man's story is another man's door. And on this podcast, I have tried to use my story as a vehicle to help get you where you need to go and hopefully create a few doors and windows where you can begin to see light and also find your own path to come home into your best life as a father. And again, head on over to bencloy.com. And if you want to check in again with Gloria or any of the resources that she offers at Palm State of Mind, go over to militaryveterandad.com and check out the show notes for this episode. Guys, it has been an amazing episode hanging out with you guys. And I will talk to you guys again on Friday. <laughs>